Jesus, today again, we thank you that you are Elohim, all-powerful creator, all-powerful Lord, and you're our Lord, and we just want to thank you that you are mindful of us. You are mindful. David said, what is man? What is man, O Lord, that you are mindful of him? And you're mindful of all of our ways. You're mindful of our lives. You're mindful of all of the times that we've been through. And we just want to thank you for that. We're never left alone to struggle through life. You're there with us. You never leave us, any one of us, or forsake us. I think he deserves a big, huge shout before we sit down and a huge praise. Amen. Let's thank our musicians too for blessing us this morning. Absolutely wonderful. We're having a great morning again this morning together in God's presence, in each other's presence. I tell you, the house of God, the church just gets greater and greater and more wonderful as we commit ourselves to it, and as we become more and more aware of His presence in these days. We're going to continue with what we've been looking at over the weeks. I think we're into our eighth week on this one psalm, Psalm 86, where David said to the Lord, his heart cry, Lord, teach me your ways. I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. I never knew, I never knew, I promise you, that we would be eight weeks looking at and looking into this psalm when I was riding my little bike down Cumbran Drive, and the Lord brought this simple verse up in my spirit, and I knew that He was on it. I knew that he wanted to unpack it, and I knew that he wanted to release it into the church. I never realized that he would cause me to minister this for so many weeks. But here we are. It's either the seventh week or the eighth week. Look, I'm losing count of it all. But um, we're, again, we're going to focus on this verse, and we're going to move on out from it and see and unpack it unpack its uh, revelation and richness into our lives. A number of months ago, I was, uh, Daniel was talking to me, my son, and uh, he was just asking me, he said, Dad, what are, you, what are you speaking about in church? And I began to tell him about this statement, this cry from David's heart, Lord, teach me your ways. Daniel, I'm talking about a heart that cries to God, Lord, teach me your ways. I will walk in your truth. I just recited the verse to him. And he said, wow, Dad, that's, that's really interesting. He's in comprehensive school. And he said to me, Dad, he said, in school, he said, I see two types of people. This is what came out of his mouth. I see two types of people every day in school, especially in the classroom, in their responses to the teacher. Two types of people. The first is a person with a listening ear and an open heart, an open mind, ready, passionate to receive what the teacher is going to say to them. They've got an open heart, an open life, wanting to learn and to grow. And he said then, he said, there's another type of person that has 
a disruptive attitude, a disruptive mind that comes into the classroom before the teacher, very closed, full of their own opinion, unwilling to move from their fixed thoughts and their fixed attitudes, and it's almost that they argue and they dig their heels in, they have a disruptive spirit. And even though the teacher, this is what he said, even though the teacher at the front of the class has this wonderful wealth of experience of life and of the subject that they're teaching, even though the teacher has a wonderful wealth to impart, to invest, the teacher is not the enemy. The teacher is on side to make you successful. The teacher is on side to lift you and launch you into a higher level of life. The teacher is not public enemy number one, as many of the school children would think. The teacher is actually there to impart all of this investment that they have within them so that another life can carry it and move on into the things that God has for them or the world has for them. He said, yet, yeah, Dad, this second class of people that come in with a disruptive attitude and a fixed mindset and fixed opinions, and they almost come into the class wanting to fight, wanting to disrupt. Well, of course, I know all about that second that second group of people, because I was in that group. I was in that group. Wanting to cause a disruption, wanting to argue with the teacher, wanting to fight, wanting to resist, not knowing that the teacher had all of this wealth of information and all of this wealth of understanding to impart into my life, and yet I saw that learning environment as an opportunity to cause trouble. That was me. And Daniel, seeing it in his school, observed it and brought it out. I said, Daniel, that's a great observation, son. That's a really great observation. And what you'll find, son, through life is that that doesn't change. It doesn't stop when you leave school. In fact, you'll find and you'll meet many People in your walk through life in one of those two classes, those with a listening ear, those who are open to change, those who are moldable and shapeable in their mind, those that don't necessarily have fixed, arrogant opinions, but lay them down before others and certainly before the Word of God and are always pliable and willing to move through on into a greater place of life. Those that have a listening ear, Daniel, are like David who says, teach me your ways. If God's going to teach you his ways, you've got to be able to listen, haven't we? We've got to be able to listen to his voice. But beyond the listening and beyond the reception of it, we've got to have that same determination, and we've covered it, to walk in the truth and in the instruction that God has given us. We don't want to be like that second class of people. And you see it again as you look through the Bible. You see people, those two classes of people in both Old Testament and New Testament. You see those with a listening ear that are waiting with bated breath for God to speak, for God to instruct, for God to impart into their lives so that they can go forward. 
They're open. They're receptive. But you also see the second class of people too that are very resistant to the Word of God, very resistant to His plan for their lives, very resistant to move forward and to be taught. They have a hard attitude. I said to Daniel, Daniel, you're going to see it all the way down through your life. But son, my advice to you is to be in that first group of people. Be in that first group of people, son. Make it your priority to have a listening ear, to be open to instruction, to allow other people to come in to your life and bring change in your life. Don't fight change, Daniel. Let it be your companion. Don't fight confrontation, Daniel. Look into confrontation wisely. Listen to it. Learn from it. Take what you can out of it when you're confronted, maybe with something that you're doing wrong, and correct it. Be that wise son in Proverbs, in Proverbs that we talked about, Proverbs 1. A wise son loves correction. Be that type of boy, Daniel, and have a commitment and a resolve. To do all of the above, and you won't go far wrong. That's how we want to be in life. That's how we want to be in our Christian life when the Lord is our teacher. And you know, in all of our lives, in all of our lives, sometimes the teacher will come and he will touch an area that we don't want him to touch. He will touch attitudes and mindsets and things in our lives that, that we struggle with. And, and it'll be like a tug-of-war scenario. We'll be wanting maybe to hold on to hold old habits, old ways of doing things, old things that give us pleasure. And the Lord will be wrestling with us and tugging on those things. Do you know what? We've got to surrender. We've got to surrender. We've got to say to the Lord, Lord, you can have it. I'm not going to hold on to this thing any longer. I'm going to give it to you. You know, sometimes in order to enable us to grow, the Lord, the Lord brings us into situations that are far bigger than us. And those things sometimes cause us to cry out to Him. There are many occasions in our lives where we've, where we've felt that, where we've walked onto territory that we feel outside of our comfort zone. We feel outside of our depth. But do you know what? It's in those times, those moments where we receive instruction, where we receive revelation. It really is. We don't want to dig our heels in. We don't want to have a hard heart when those, when those situations occur. When the Lord leads us in that way, we want to have an open heart. We want to be ready to receive His instruction on how to go forward and how to pursue Him in the life that he's leading us in. Amen? Amen. Two types of people. Two types of people. Those with a listening ear, with an open heart, receptive, willing to embrace what the teacher is saying, and those that are very set in their ways, that won't accept anything new, and certainly won't accept anything that takes them from beyond where they are into what God wants them to have. We want to be like that, that first group of people where our 
ears are open and we're listening and receptive. Amen? Amen. A few weeks ago, we were looking at Psalm 32. A promise that God made to David and he said, I will instruct you with my eye. I will teach, sorry, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. What a blessing. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. What, what a privilege to have God teach you and instruct you in the way that you should go in life. He said, I will guide you with my eye. But then we looked at, I don't know if you remember this, but we looked at the do nots in the Bible. There's many do nots in the Bible. They're like fences. They're like boundary lines. And you get up to the fence and it says, do not, do not. I remember I used to walk past the fence every day and it was an electric fence. Oh, you know what's coming. I certainly did. I used to walk past an electric fence every day. Do not touch. Do not touch me. And I could feel my, every, every day I walked past it, I could feel this vibration in my hand. And this thought in my mind, go on, Dave, touch it. Go on. You know you want to. You little tinker. And I could feel it boiling inside. Oh, that fence. It was so attractive. Why? Because it had a big do not touch sign on it. Do not. It's amazing. You know, we go through life and we come up, we come up against things and, you know, it's like that fence. Do not come near me. Do not do this. Do not go this way. And as soon as we see it, it's like a red rag to a bull. We run towards it with all of our strength. And we jump in. And before we know what we're doing, we think, oh, my goodness, we've made a huge mistake here. One day I was passing that fence with a group of about 20 friends. And we were all looking at the do not. On the fence, the do not sign. And you know what kids are like? One boy said, I dare somebody to touch it. And of course, it had been revolving around in my mind for a long time. I'll touch it, I said, boldly and arrogantly and proudly. I'll touch it. You, you wouldn't dare, Eddie. They used to call me Eddie. In, I, was, I was living in Yorkshire. You wouldn't dare, Eddie. I will. You wouldn't. I will. And there was this exchange back and forth for a while. And then suddenly, I re reached through the first fence. And there it was, the electric wire. And I took hold of it. My goodness me. The fence shook. I shook violently. I violently shook for about, it seemed like two hours. But it, I'm serious, man. That whole thing, I, if, it's, has anybody been electrocuted here? Huh? Don't try it. I tell you now, man. Don't try it. Let me tell you the type of person that Jesus saved that's standing up here. I would, I would go in the garage, right? And I'd see, a, I'd, see a, I'd see a socket with no bulb in it, right? 
And I, I'd go up to it and I'd think, I wonder if that's on. <laughs> right? I did this. I, right? I got the ladder out. Right? I walked up the ladder. And I got my finger like that. And I went like that. Right in the socket. And I tell you something now, 240, 240, when you become part of the circuit, oh my goodness me, it's like surfing. Woohoo! <laughs> Your ears are smoking, everything's smoking. You are, I tell you what, man, do not try it, right? It is not good. And especially when you put it through your hand, because it goes right through your heart, right? It is not good. I fused the house. My mother, what, what, what's going on? What's he done now? Terrible. That's, that's who God saved. My goodness. Thank God he saved it. Hey, oh, and washed it and made it clean. My goodness me. But I grabbed the fence. Because there was this big not do not, uh, do, there was this big do not touch sign, right? And I shook violently and I was thrown back on the floor and I was just, you know, the pride and the arrogance. Oh, how an electric fence can deal with it. I tell you now, it can deal with it. But you see, God doesn't want you to go beyond the fence because He knows how damaging and how humiliating it can be. That's why he says, that's why he says, do not fear. Do not fear. He doesn't want you to touch that stuff. He doesn't want me to touch it because we become closed. We become isolated. We become suspicious. No, do not fear. I'm with you. I'm for you. You don't have to become closed. You don't have to isolate yourself. You don't have to become suspicious or depressed. Do not. Do not fear. He says, do not be anxious about anything. I've got it covered for you. I love you. You don't have to take the weight of responsibility as to what's going to, you know, thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have to worry about that. Let me take care of that. I'm in your future. I'm in front of you. I'm way down the road calling you forward. Therefore, don't be anxious. To be anxious means to fall to pieces. God doesn't get any glory in me fall into pieces, or you fall into pieces. Do not be anxious, but I want to be anxious. It gives me meaning and purpose in life to look worried and sad. No, Dave, church, don't be anxious. Don't go beyond the fence. Do not. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Do not be deceived. He, the writer in the Hebrews said that implored the church, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, how a man chooses, so shall he reap. If you plant apples, you're going to get an apple tree. Why are you so surprised when you get an apple tree? You planted the thing by your choices, man. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. As a man sows, Dave, so shall he reap. You make bad choices, Dave. You plant them in the ground. Guess what you're going to harvest, Dave? Not necessarily a good harvest. It's going to be a challenging harvest ahead, Dave. But God, I don't understand. Well, Dave, you planted the seeds in the ground. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. And then we came to this wonderful psalm, Psalm 32. Do not be like the horse. Do not be like the mule. And we said that the horse had a self-strength. The horse was proud and strong. And all the nature of the horse is to be prominent. And God is using the characteristics and the attributes of these animals. And seeing into them, he says to David, do not be like that. I want to guide you, teach you, instruct you, lead you in the way that you should go, that you should have understanding. Do not be like that. Don't be like the horse. Don't, be, don't seek to always be number one. Don't be prominent in your own mind. Don't have a self-strength whereby you just, you know, run on through everything. And then he says, don't be like the donkey. Don't be like the mule that's stubborn, that doesn't move, that is, that is so ingrained in its ways and needs to be hit and whacked and corrected with the bit and the bridle in order for it to be directed. We looked at those things. God wants us to grow. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. But the flip side of that is this. Unhealthy things grow too. It's not only that healthy things grow, there can be unhealthy things that grow actually even faster than healthy things. Very often, healthy things grow very slowly. And they progress and they move through the stages correctly. And they move through the stages very slowly. But the unhealthy thing grows very rapidly. But the teacher is there in our lives to ensure that we grow healthily. So he deals, he gives us a health check. He says, listen, do this, don't do that. Don't fight the don't, don't fight the do nots. When God says do not, or when you read in your Bible and you come up against something and you, you see, wow, God doesn't want me to do that then don't do it. Take hold of it. Believe it. And say, Lord, to the best of my ability, I may be fa failing in this area right now, but Lord, with your strength, please help me grow. And he will. He really will. Now, I want to look just for the time that we have remaining, just a few moments. I want to just bring your attention to Moses' walk with the Lord. Moses, incredible guy. We've all read about him in the Old Testament. And Moses was an amazing man. When you look at his life, Moses actually lived for 120 years. And when you look at the account in the Bible of his life, you can see that his life was divided really into three parts. The first 40 years was his growing up in Egypt. 
The second 40 years of his life was a period in which he was in the wilderness. The third and final 40 years of his life was when he was leading the people of God through the wilderness towards the promised land. An incredible life, much instruction and teaching that we can receive just from Moses' life and also from his interaction with the Lord as his teacher. Now, the first 40 years in Egypt, Moses was like a strong horse. Now, this should encourage us, okay? Because if you are struggling in this area, you just feel like you're like a horse. You just feel like there's areas of your life where you just power on through and you just railroad across what other people want. And you've just got this character and this this type of life where you're just like a horse and you just can't stop yourself and you make comments when you shouldn't make comments and you, you hold opinions possibly that you shouldn't. You're just like a horse. Well, be encouraged. God's got a plan for the horse. I'm encouraged by that. Sometimes I can be like a horse, like a strong old horse. But God's got a plan. Moses was like a horse. In Egypt. Acts 7, verse 22, gives us a little insight into Moses' life as he grew up in Egypt. It says this And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. Right there, we see an insight into this man's life where he was strong, he was mighty in word, he was able to speak. He was able to subdue. He was able to be, you know, in control when it came to conversations, when it came to giving the right direction and instruction. He was mighty in word. He could hold himself in a conversation. In fact, he could hold himself well in an argument and win it. Mighty in word, but not only mighty in word. Actually, he was a very industrious man. He was mighty indeed. He didn't just talk about it. He was a guy that just got up and did it and used his knowledge and his intelligence and his education that had been given to him by Egypt to actually get up and be industrious and actually do something. This wasn't just a man full of hot air, you know, puffing off smoke and talking big talk like politicians do. This was a man that just got up and actually did something with his life. He was a very skilled man in the time in which he was in Egypt. And then one day he saw an Egyptian. Watch how it turns. Watch how life becomes a rod for this man's back. Because you see, God doesn't need us to be mighty in word and deed. God needs us to be open to instruction to be directed in our way by Him, and to actually have a receptive heart, a listening ear, and to be guided by His eye. One day Moses is walking down the road, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of the Israelites. And he feels a calling, but the calling is premature. He feels a calling to deliver the people of God from Egypt, and to do something about their plight, 
They were facing terrible slavery and terrible conditions. He was an industrial, industrious man. He could do things. And he wanted to do something in this situation. But what happened was he ended up murdering an Egyptian. All of that wisdom that Egypt had given him. Mighty in word. Mighty indeed. A powerful man. All of it came to an end and collapsed in one moment through one wrong decision as he murdered a man. Pharaoh heard about it. In fact, there was a rumor that went all throughout Egypt, and he ran, the Bible says, he ran for his life. And he ran into the wilderness. And the wilderness was a place where the strong horse was broken. The strong horse that was powerful, that was mighty in word and mighty in deed, was broken. And he goes into a 40-year period now in the wilderness. And you, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 3, but the Bible is very quiet about this 40-year period. It doesn't really say much about what happened in Moses' life whilst he was in the wilderness, except that he was in Jethro's house. He actually became a shepherd. What a come down. Here's a man that walked in the palaces of the pharaohs. Here's a man that had great influence. Here's a man that strode through life that was prominent, that was number one, that was like a strong, proud horse. And now suddenly, he's no longer walking through the palaces of Egypt. He's now humbled to a wilderness and he's a shepherd, the most despised vocation in the East. The Egyptians actually said that being a shepherd was actually worse than death itself. Oh, the wisdom of God is different to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God takes a man who is, who is next in line to be Pharaoh and he reduces him to a wilderness where he takes up a new vocation, shepherd, despised and rejected by the world. But 40 years, 40 years in this man's life, now he's no longer a strong horse. But in that 40 years, he becomes like a mule, a donkey. He gets stuck in this wilderness experience. He gets, he gets stuck in his stubbornness. In fact, we can see exactly how entrenched he was in this place. Because one day God met him at a burning bush. Because now God wanted to bring him out of the wilderness and he wanted to use him for his purpose. Now God knew that there was a season change in his life whereby Moses would no longer be guided by the bit and the bridle of life in his mouth, directing him here and directing him there. Now God wanted to instruct him in the way he would go and with his own eye that he might have understanding. You know the story. God meets him at a burning bush and he speaks to him. And this is Moses' response, God tells him and commissions him to go to Egypt and set his people free. Moses says this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But who am I, Moses said, 
Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm glad God didn't answer that question. God could have kept Moses there all day and described exactly who he was, but God didn't respond to Moses' question as to who he was. God simply pointed to himself and referred to his own nature by saying, I am. I am. Forget who you are, Moses. I am. When you face the mountain, when God wants you to do something for him, we often say, but who am I? I've said it so many times. I forgot how many times I've said it, friends. But God never describes who we are. He tells you exactly who he is. I am. You're going to do it, church. Why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. You're going to succeed. You're going to thrive. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be above and not beneath, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Let's give him praise. Let's give him a shout in this place this morning. I am that I am, he said. I am can defeat any giant. I am can open Red Seas. I I am can cause Jericho's to fall. I am can raise the dead. I am can raise the cripple. My God, it's not who we are. It's who he is. And that's why Wales, I'm telling you now, this nation is not going to be a dead nation because of who we are. It's who he is. Amen. That's not in my notes. But God gets Moses. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to round this up. God refers to himself when he asks Moses and he recommissions him. He's got to get him now from a place of being a stubborn mule, being in the wilderness for a long time, to a place where he's commissioned and sent and ready to appear before the man or the, the government that he had run from. Exodus 4 verse 1, Moses goes on. Then Moses answered and said, after God had told him, I am that I am. Moses again, but suppose they will not believe me. We're not asking them to believe you, Moses. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not approved or the Lord has not appeared to you. You see, there's objection after objection. And this, this stubborn mule-like spirit in Moses is struggling to move into another season of life. And God is patient. The teacher is instructing him. And he's with him all the way. And he's not taking no for an answer. Because he's commissioned him. He's called him in spite of all of his past. Verse 10 of chapter 4. Moses raised another objection. How many objections have we had when God wants to use us? We object. We fight. Not fight each other. I'm not talking about that. But we fight God. Oh, Lord, I just don't want to do that. Like, an objection after objection. Why? Because we've been in the wilderness for such a long time. 
And we've been, we've been broken and crushed. And we, we had a dream of doing something great. We could speak great one uh, uh, at, at one point in our lives. And we were industrious and we were enabled to do things. And things were going our way. And we, you know, we had position and title. And suddenly that all goes and we get thrown into a wilderness and we, we get this title of shepherd that actually is such a burden and such an embarrassment because everybody knows that it's the most despised position that anybody can take. And now we just don't want to move. We don't want to trust. We don't want to go into a new season because of everything that's happened over the last 80 years. We're all in the same camp. The great thing about the teacher, the great thing about the Lord is he doesn't take no for an answer. And he moves Moses through another objection. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, Master, please. Oh, please. I don't talk well. You see, first 40 years of his life, he spoke well. He spoke well, mighty in word and deed. But now, after life had gone through him, circumstance and experience and the bit and the bridle of crisis had pulled him this way and that way, he wasn't speaking very well now. I'm a stutterer, he said. You got the job, Moses. I can't speak. Qualified. Qualified. Well done. You got the job. You're the man, Moses. I don't need the man that was trained by Egypt, who's mighty in word, mighty in deed. I don't need that man. That's why I broke that man. That's why I took that man into a wilderness and gave him a different title. That's why I did all of that stuff, Moses. Now you're ready. Now you're ready to be guided by my eye and to be instructed by me. The Bible says that Moses closed with this. After Moses obeyed God and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, walked them through a Red Sea, took them into a wilderness towards the promised land. The Bible actually says this, that Moses was the meekest man, the meekest man in all the earth. Actually, the Lord said it. What a commendation from the Lord. The Lord looked at Moses' life and he said, he's not like that strong horse that grew up in Egypt. He's not like that stubborn mule that I found in the wilderness by the burning bush. He is now like the meekest man in all the earth. Do you know what it means to be meek? Let me read it to you. It means to be patient. He wasn't patient in Egypt. He was impulsive, impulsive in his choices. That's what knowledge, that's what knowledge will make you. Paul said, knowledge puffs us up. It makes us proud. The teacher doesn't give you knowledge. Knowledge can puff up. Knowledge can make you proud. It can make you impulsive. 
mighty in word, mighty in deed, mighty in education. And at the end of all of it, he killed a man, impulsive. But meekness is to be patient, submissive, humble, and gentle. To be, to be meek means that you are timid, weak, peaceful, unassuming. Nothing about your presence that people would say, wow, look at them in the room. No, you're unassuming, you're meek. Yielding and compliant. To be meek means that you are resigned completely over to the will of another. Teachable. Teachable. And Moses was the meekest man in all of the earth. That's where the Lord took him to. Do you know what? We are on a wonderful journey with the Lord. We really are. He's patient. I told you, the teacher is patient patient he sees all of those things that you know we want out of our lives he sees all of those things that we want to move away from but they keep coming back but he's patient he's patient amen amen lord we thank you today for your word we thank you lord that we don't have to be like that strong horse you said, do not be like the horse. We don't have to be like that stubborn mule. But Lord, we can be taught and instructed by you. We can be guided by your eyes in the way that we should go. Lord, I pray for every person here today. Maybe today you've never asked Jesus into your heart to become your Savior. I would love right now this opportunity to ask Jesus, to pray with you, to ask Jesus to come into your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Repeat it quietly in your heart. You're inviting Jesus in this moment. You're actually inviting him into your life. I want to pray with you. Say these words, simple words. Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of my sin. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in to my life. I need the peace that you want to give me. I need the comfort in my heart. I want you to be the end of my search, Jesus. I want you to be my teacher in life. I want to open my ears to hear your instruction so I can live the life that you want me to live. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you quickly slip your hand up? We'll see it. And we'll give you a Bible. We just want to give you a Bible. That's it, my love. The lady there. Is there anybody else? Sometimes it takes courage to do this. and You may have prayed the prayer. Just lift your hand up quickly. We'll give you a Bible. Amen. And pray with you. And if you feel you don't want to lift your hand up, but you prayed that prayer, make sure today that you grab a Bible on your way out and let somebody know that you prayed that prayer. And we, if we can pray with you, we would love to. Amen. We're going to stand up.